mercy and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. may be seated. In last week's gospel, we heard Jesus was with some disciples in a boat. Jesus was asleep and a violent storm arose. The disciples, fearful, they are going to die since the boat was sinking. They awake Jesus and they say, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Jesus then performed a most stunning miracle. He not only stopped the storm, but he also immediately calmed those waves. If the storm were to stop naturally, then the waves would continue for some time and then finally gradually calm down. But not so in this event. When Jesus calmed the storm, as God, he not only calmed the storm, but he also calmed the waves, which reveals his divinity. When Jesus performed that miracle, he was still rather early in his three-year ministry. The people were still trying to figure out who he is. He had not yet called all of the 12 disciples, but people were turning to him as they were listening to his powerful preaching and as they were witnessing the amazing miracles that he was performing. But then others at the same time, such as the Pharisees, were becoming alarmed at Jesus, fearing that he was about to upend their ways and overturn their version of Judaism. Now in today's gospel, Jesus is ending or nearing the end of his three-year ministry. The 12 whom Jesus had raised up had been with Jesus much of the time, learning at the feet of our Lord the word of God. And occasionally Jesus would take Peter, James, and John aside. And on this day, as our gospel teaches, Jesus takes with him, takes them with him up on a high mountain. If there lingered any question by this point on who Jesus is, the transfiguration of, of our Lord should settle that question. Jesus' clothing became as white as light and his face shone like the sun, thus revealing our Lord's glory, his divinity, that he is God himself, the same God who was present with Moses at Mount Sinai. You see, some 1,500 years earlier, Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant, and the blueprints for constructing the temple. And when going up the mountain, Moses stood in the presence of God, even though God was not unveiled to Moses. In fact, that is shown by the fact that Moses at one point asked God to see him and God says, I'll show you my backside. And so Moses sees God in a veiled form, but yet his glory of the glory of God is being revealed. And as Moses stood before God, whose glory shone, Moses' own face then received that light of the glory of God so that Moses' own face began to shine. And then when Moses came down that mountain, 
He didn't know it, but his face continued to shine, which of course alarmed the people, and so he wore a veil. Obviously, this happened to Moses because Moses was in the presence of God. And now in today's gospel, Jesus himself shines like the sun, and even his clothing radiates light. This shows that Jesus is God, as his preaching and his miracles had already demonstrated, and now as this transfiguration proves. However, if this is not enough, Moses and Elijah then appear, and they talk to Jesus about his upcoming exodus, that is, his upcoming crucifixion, his upcoming death on the cross to take away the sins of the world. And these two men represent the entire Old Testament. For Moses wrote the Pentateuch, and Elijah represents the various prophets who wrote most of the Old Testament. Earlier, Jesus had said to some people, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And so the scriptures, the Old Testament at the time of our Lord's ministry, were written to direct the hearts and minds of God's people throughout the Old Testament to their Messiah, that is, to Jesus. The scriptures speak of Jesus. And so, Upon our Lord's transfiguration, as Moses and Elijah appear, the prophetic word is confirmed. And if these are not enough to see that Jesus is God, a voice speaks from heaven, the voice of God the Father, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus, the man who seemed to be destroying the religious system, so popular in Jerusalem, turns out to be the Son of God, the Father. Jesus, by being the Son of God, is God himself. Now, during Epiphany, as I've stated several times in the past, we examine who is this baby born in Bethlehem. And in Epiphany, we see why the whole world pauses to rejoice even to this day at the birth of this baby boy in Bethlehem. Epiphany reveals that Jesus is not just some ordinary human, but that Jesus is human, and yet, at the same time, the second person of the Holy Trinity, that he is God. That Jesus fulfills the scriptures, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he is the one who is sent by the Father to take away the sins of the world. The transfiguration of our Lord is clearly a high point in our Lord's ministry. And yet, Moses and Elijah speak to Jesus about what would seem to many people be a low point that would be coming up in our Lord's ministry. And they're speaking, again, of his crucifixion. In fact, about a week earlier, Prior to his transfiguration, Jesus told his disciples that they were going to Jerusalem where he would suffer many things from the, from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised from the dead. Now to many people who want to consider what they think is a reasonable religious system would think that dying just does not seem to be the right thing for a God to do. In many of the world's religions, they dwell on the greatness of their gods. 
to them, dying would mean weakness, not greatness. And here we have it. In Christianity, God dies. Not God the Father and not God the Holy Spirit, but God the Son, Jesus. And that Jesus became man, even becoming our sin, and goes to the cross to die in our place, shows that Christianity is not an invention of man. It is the only true religion. Jesus does not die for no reason. Instead, he dies for you because he bears your sin upon himself as he goes to the cross and sheds his blood as a ransom payment for your sin. So he dies for you on your behalf to take away your sin. But what sin, you may wonder? Or why do I need to have my sin taken away, you may ask? After all, we are naturally inclined to believe that we are pretty good people. We may feel that we have suffered from the hand, the gossip, the uninvited criticism, and the cruelty of others. But when we ourselves are ready to dole it out, we know that we're always doing it for their own good, or so we think as we try to justify ourselves and explain our sin away. A few days ago on the news, a survey revealed that 40-some percent of drivers think that they are the best driver that they know. No one else tops their driving abilities. 40-some percent of those surveyed. That's the attitude that is common to mankind. We think we're the best person that we know. We think we are above average in our good behavior, in our good intentions, and in our actions. But how can everyone be above average? Plus, does it really matter if someone is above average? Because your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees if you wish to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the scripture says there is none righteous, no, not one. How is it that everyone then could be the best? Jesus said, first, remove the plank from your own eye. The reality is our world is in a lot of hurt. And we do make it worse for ourselves. In countless households who consider themselves Christians, parents, I'm going to use frank language here, rob their children from, of Jesus. Now, they may read a bedtime story or do a prayer, which are wonderful and good and should never be dis diminished, but then they sleep in on Sunday mornings or allow other things to take priority, not realizing that they are teaching their children that these fleeting things of the world are more important than the word of God and the sacraments which Christ died to give to us. Children are being tossed around and manipulated by the, waves of public, by the winds of public opinion. They're being led to believe that God and science are wrong when it comes to X and Y chromosomes and that gender is fluid. While God's word remains clear, male and female, he created them. I read an article this past week, which I will describe it as manipulative. It's intended to draw sympathy from its readers and lead them to believe that it's fine for 14-year-old Chris, who thinks she, who is a girl but thinks she's a boy, because she is playing on the boys' football team. The article first appeals to your emotion to draw you in, and then it appeals to your intellect to make it feel like you are making an informed decision 
when you support Chris in her decisions in her life and go against the clear word of God. The article is trying to get you to go against the scriptures and go along with the winds of public opinion. It features many photos of Chris dressed up in her high school football uniform. It talks of the injustice Chris had and how she needed to move from one school district in South Dakota to another so that she can play on the boys' team. And it speaks against the godly legislation that is being introduced to ban trans students from ruining sports, not only for boys, but also for girls. And when Chris was in the second grade at her Catholic school, she was expected to wear a dress at First Communion. Her dad fought the church and they allowed her to wear a blazer. In this case, the parents and many in the community are supporting her in her confusion and, we have to say it, her sin. But in some places, parents have no rights as children to obtain, uh, parents have no rights as their children obtain gender reassignment surgery. Many of these children have been manipulated through online activities and some even through their schooling. The hurt goes on. Children and adults alike are addicted to gaming and memes, their phones, porn. Social media is an underlining cause to depression in many people. Anxiety rates are higher than ever. Families are breaking up. Our world is mired with sin. We might want to point the finger at other people and say, look at how they're all messed up when we're still not thinking of the plank that is in our own eye. It is a blessing then that God has provided for us a sanctuary. While technology is in use in this building through computers, a copy machine, video recording of our services, you are blessed with a sanctuary that is geared to be freed from the world's distractions. You are blessed with that. The glass prevents you from peering outside and pondering at what's going on out there. There are no screens, which there's too much of that in our everyday life throughout the rest of the week. We don't employ emotion-manipulating music, and we do not attempt to draw your attention away from Jesus and toward human personalities. Instead, the services here at Grace are intended, they are intentional to be reverent and Christ-centered and forgiveness-focused so that you can have the gifts of God in Christ Jesus and so that you can know your standing with our Lord. Our world is corrupt with sin. We have been corrupted with sin ourselves. We often celebrate sin over celebrating what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. You see, Jesus went to that cross to pay for every last sin of ours, even our sins of sympathy when people are committing sinful activity. That's why the Son of God had to die, why Moses and Elijah had to speak to Jesus of his upcoming exodus, because the corruption of our sin goes so deep that we cannot cleanse ourselves, but only Christ Jesus can, 
who answered for all of your sin on the cross. The corruption of our sin goes so deep that many do not even see it anymore as they are swimming in it or even drowning in their sin. Jesus had to come into this world and deliver us from our sin through his shedding of his innocent blood on the cross. When he went to the cross, he bore our many sins in his body and he offered himself in love as the ransom payment for all of our sin. He died on our behalf so that we sinners may now live and so that we can understand what true and good and godly living is in this fallen world. Jesus grants us life and we now live as God's own children redeemed by Christ and clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus. This means that even though we still sin much and deserve nothing but God's punishment, we are now reconciled to God our Father in heaven. That God is in fact well pleased with us because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So as the Father said he was well pleased in Jesus, Father is also well pleased in you. Your sins are canceled out completely. For he sees you as righteous as Christ himself is righteous in the forgiveness of your sin. You can be confident of this because God's word tells you so. Just as the clear and prophetic word confirms other wonderful or other teachings, good teachings, the Bible teaches us clearly who boys are and who girls are. The Bible teaches us clearly when life begins or how the world was created, how families are conduct them, to conduct themselves, and how God's people are to regularly gather to hear Jesus in, through the word and through the sacrament and the divine service. So instead of giving in to the culture with all of its hurts and lies and grief and sin, we submit to God's true word, and joyfully receive his reconciliation. For Jesus really did perform an amazing miracle when he calmed the storms. Jesus performed amazing miracles when he even raised people from the dead. And Jesus himself rose from the dead. And perhaps just as amazing, God has taken away your sin through Jesus and has reconciled you to himself. That way, you can be confident of who you are in Christ Jesus and that he has prepared a heavenly home for you. Last week, the disciples turned to Jesus saying, Lord, save us for we are perishing. And Jesus has come to do just that. He has come to save you. And so when the disciples look up, after hearing the voice of God the Father, they see no one but Jesus only. He's our Savior, and we, as children of God, focus on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.